0: Yo, yo, yo. See, last week I did that and everybody was all geeked up. So hello, everybody. You know who this is. It's Guy Adami. I'm joined by Dan Nathan today. Hard to believe. And when I say that, it's because every day you wake up, for me at my age, it's a good day. October 12th, macro setup. I'm joined again by Dan Nathan. Today's episode is brought to you by our presenting sponsors. IGUS, one of the fastest growing Forex dealers in North America. And oh, by the way. Backed by popular demand, we're going to be joined by the great Daniela Sabine Hawthorne, market analyst at IG, and of course, our presenting sponsor, Open Exchange, Dan, because they manage virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. This meeting matters. How are you?
1: I'm doing great, guy, Diamond. You're all fired up here. We're I am. I'm we're- geeked up. We're in the throes of, you know, we had that big bounce, right, last week off of what was like maybe a peak to trough decline of about 6%, maybe rallied 2 to 3% off of that. We filled in that gap from like, Thursday a little bit. And it kind of feels like the market has this kind of heaviness to it, guy, the stock market that is. And we're going to talk a little bit about kind of some of the divergences in there. But I got to I got to hit this headline first, guy. It's, ahead, it's coming out. Ahead, of ahead, It's please. coming out of BOFA. How does that what, what is that BOFA?
0: Bank of America
1: Merrill Lynch. Yeah, there you go. And I so this headline from Bloomberg, uh, you know, they warn that the Fed won't rush to stock markets rescue this time, which is really interesting because, you know, we've been talking about on the macro setup for the last few weeks, it really seemed like there was this chorus of market strategists who are calling for a 5 10 some even a 15% peak to trough decline from the highs over in the summer. We know that the S&P topped out on September 2nd. And really, it was just a kind of a technical call, it felt like. It felt like some, some froth needed to come out of the market. But the fact that they're saying that the Fed won't reverse course, this is BOFA now, because they maybe have it wrong about that whole transitory argument, right? About, higher prices and therefore they have to kind of stick to the plan about tapering which will in in effect kind of cause higher rates which might stave off higher prices
0: it's interesting when i was back in high school we used to come home after school in the off season we used to watch lost in space and the robot used to say danger will robinson and you know dr smith would never heed the warning and you know sometimes it worked out for him sometimes it didn't well i'm telling you folks you better heed this warning because I do think the Fed is sort of running out of arrows and we will see one six in a 10 year. We're going to take a look at that chart. But I like what Bank of America is saying. Maybe this time the Fed won't come to the aid of the stock market. And maybe, in fact, it is different this time. Uh, I think it is. I don't know if you believe it yet, Dan, but I think you're starting to come around. we got to look at the S&P 500 because that's, as they say, the granddaddy of them all for you uh, college football fans out there. Again, we traded up to that downtrend line. We seemingly have stopped. That support level comes into play, and it comes into play right at the 200-day moving average, which is now 41.60. I've said on this numerous times. I've said on CNBC's Fast Money numerous times. I do think we're going to test the 4,100 level in the S&P 500. And quite frankly, um, nothing has really changed in terms of price action to change my opinion,
1: Dan Nathan. Yeah, you know what was really interesting, Guy, about those last three closes um, before today is if you look at it, we had these moves that were back up in line with that downtrend, but they closed below it each time. And, you know, if you think about charting and you think about like kind of spotting points on charts, that sort of thing, if there were three closes above that downtrend, you would say, well, that's kind of bullish there. It's building some momentum. But on each day over the last three, they've kind of lost some momentum into the close, which has kind of emboldened me to your call that if we get back towards those lows from early last week, we are probably making a run at that 200-day moving average. And, and I think you and I are kind of steadfast here. I don't think either one of us feels like we're in going to be in the midst of some sort of like Crash or anything like that, like we saw in late 2018 in the fourth quarter because of rates going higher at the time. And I think that's what really ties this BOFA call in here. I think that's what they're responding to because back then, what did the stock market do in Q4 of 2018 when rates started to rise, Guy Dami? I I, I
0: appreciate you bringing that up, Dan. From October of 2018 until effectively Christmas Eve of that same yeah. year, the market went down, Dan, 19.9%. Not 20, not 19.9%, <laughs> Point eight but nineteen point nine percent.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and they and they did an about face and the stock market never looked back. When until you say had-
0: they, by the way, you're talking they has a name, as you know. That would be the that would be Jerome Powell and his yes. band of merry men and ladies. They did a complete about face and the stock market never looked back, be it political pressure one or the fact that the market did go down close to twenty percent. They blinked and listen, they painted themselves in a the corner. It's been great for the stock market. I'm not denying that but one has to wonder what the long-term effects to the economy will be. Anyway, I think that's for another show. The NDX is equally interesting, same type of line pretty much, but I think different forces at work here. Now, a lot of this um, is Facebook-inflicted, Facebook-specific news, but Apple not trading particularly well, nor is Google, uh, quite frankly, nor is Amazon. And those are the four horsemen, of this move, Dan, Nathan?
1: Well, yeah, even Microsoft guy had, you know, nearly a 10% peak to drop decline at its low, at lows last week. And I think Google is really the one to keep an eye on here also because that was one that was showing great relative strength, that and Microsoft, to the, the broader NASDAQ. The NASDAQ, I think, is up about 12% on the year right now. And it's down, you know, almost double digits from its highs here. So it's underperforming the S&P 500 year to date, which is up 16%. But to your point about those four horsemen, throw five in there, let's make it f maga the facebook the microsoft the apple the google and the amazon that's nearly 50 percent of the nasdaq 100 here so again i think this chart looks really simple go back to that breakout in june it lines up right there at fourteen thousand with the 200 moving uh 1500 uh excuse me The 200-day moving average, easy for me to say, Guy And you get back there, and that's the moment of truth. And I'll just say this. Let's throw one other name. This is the macro setup. But man, oh, man, look at the move that Tesla has had that is the sixth largest name in the NASDAQ 100, in the S&P 500, and it's been a monster over the last three or four months. If that one joins the party to the downside with some of its other big cap tech brethren, you're going to be sniffing that 14,000 pretty soon.
0: When you when you said monster that way, it reminded me of John Malkovich in the great and underrated movie uh, Rounders and yeah. Norton, Matt Damon. Tremendous movie. Remember, he says you threw down a monster. Well, yeah, maybe we're going to have a monster throw down here. The next thing you know, we play a game before the macro setup. You say, how much do you think the R.T.Y. is up year to date? I said, eight <laughs> percent. Yeah. You corrected me and said 13 percent. That's neither here nor there. But what I will tell you is we've been going sideways effectively since February, uh, and I wonder what's going to happen here. We say it all the time. The most economically sensitive names that's struggling. Does it want higher rates or does it want lower rates? I don't think it knows. I quite frankly don't know either. I think rates going too high is actually going to put a kibosh on the RTY. What are your thoughts here,
1: Dan? (laughs) Yeah, well, you think about it. You just said economically sensitive. We know that there's a lot of financial, smaller cap financials. Um, and then there's some industrials and, you know, like the industrials and some of the transport, they just don't act well, guy. And I guess they're just more sensitive to higher input costs. That's the other thing, more sensitive to higher wages, that sort of thing. And so you look at this chart, and it's making a series of lower highs. It's made a series of higher lows. That 200-day moving average has been rising, but it's just kind of going sideways here. I suspect, and you've made this point, I think, on the macro set up on numerous occasions over the last couple of months whenever that thing breaks one way or another whatever be up it's likely to lead the market that will be the next kind of 10% in the broad market in the S&P 500 and I agree with that I think that the holding pattern that's in is really interesting relative to what feels like heaviness in the S&P 500 in the Nasdaq but guy you know it all has to do with rates here man and you've had this call here you thought we'd get a bounce in the US 10 year treasury yield here. Um, you know, a couple months ago, it looked like it was just kind of teetering on those prior lows in the 10 year U.S. treasury yield here. We've had that quick move. And I really think it speaks to what both is saying here in a way is that the market investors have gotten ahead of whatever the Fed has been saying about what they're going to do on policy because the market believes that higher rates are the only thing that could stave off higher prices right now
0: yeah let's take a look at that because you know and we're seeing the ten-year here at this 160-ish level or so obviously we know what the range is 177 the high in march i want to say 114 maybe a tad lower the low we saw over the summer now here we are back at 160. listen you can look at this trend line and say maybe we're going to stop here it makes a lot of sense we have accelerated uh in a meaningful way over a short period of time And maybe it's a logical place for us to take a pause. I do think this is going to continue. I think it's all predicated on one thing. Well, a number of things, but mainly one thing. And that's this ridiculous move we're seeing in energy, which we'll talk about later. So here you have the 10-year. Again, what does 160 mean? Well, it should be some tailwinds for the banks. But again, north of that 175 level, you wonder what it means, again, to the broader market. And I think rates are going up for the wrong reasons. Rates aren't going up because we've all of a sudden had this rebirth in the economy. Rates are going higher because prices are out of control.
1: Yeah, and that brings us to kind of this headline that caught my view. It kind of was like red on Bloomberg this morning, Guy Adami. The IMF trims their view on growth rebound is dangerous divergence scene. Dangerous divergence. That's a great headline right there. Um, you know, again, they're really talking about lower growth. These higher prices have crimped growth. We've seen and we've talked about it here, man. It's like all of these strategists, all these economists have been tripping each over each other for Q3 and even Q4 to lower their growth expectations. And I guess if you're bullish on markets, you're bullish on the global inflation trade, you have to believe that you're going to get some of that back in Q1 or in 2022. And, you know, they're leaving 2022 estimates largely unchanged, but they're lowering Q1. That just speaks to me that, you know, growth is just coming down here for all those different reasons here. And you just mentioned energy. I mean, look at this move in crude oil. I know that you are very constructive on it, Guy, and you think some of the unique supply-demand dynamics, Um, that are in place right now are going to stick around. I just kind of take you back to early July, it was the same narrative in early uh-huh. July guy, and no one saw it coming. But crude oil dropped about 20% at the time, you know, and rates started going higher. So, you know, to me, I just go back to what I remember in 2014 and 2015, when the Federal Reserve started to taper their bond purchases after the global financial crisis, and the dollars started to rally, crude oil topped out. And, you know, as far as I'm concerned, everything I see about fossil fuels in this number, you might get an, year term boost. But sooner or later, you're going to see OPEC plus start to pump a lot more oil as soon as I think demand, um, you know, kind of evens out or there's some sort of thing. And then that's going to be the death knell for prices. But, you know, you and I have a different view on that. And I guess that's what makes the market guy. That's
0: what, And we're going to talk about uh, senior Jamie Diamond as well in a second. Yeah. But a couple things come to mind. One, you said that nobody saw it coming. That's not true, Dan. In July, you saw it coming <laughs> because you posted a 13 year downtrend chart that crude traded up to and stopped, as Carter Worth would say, to the penny. And you actually said that this is where you fade crude oil. You were right, as it then subsequently traded off some 20 percent in a very short period of time, number one. Number two, I know when I was growing up, I was a huge uh, Barbara Eden fan for you fans at home, uh, of course, of I Dream of Genie. Why do I mention that? Because this time the genie's out of the bottle. The Fed can do whatever they want, uh, but prices seem to be on cruise control higher And number three, I think this administration, this Biden administration, is about to make a huge error. I think they're going to do something with the SPR. They're going to release it. And I think that's going to be catastrophic. I think maybe one or two days, the price is going lower. But I think the market is waiting for this administration to blink. They shouldn't do it because price shouldn't be a reason why you release from the SPR. Anyway, my thoughts there. Quickly, we should take a look at the next thing, which is seemingly on autopilot to the upside again, Which is a DXY. Now, that sort of um, flies in the face of higher commodity prices, but right now you're seeing a dollar rally as well as commodities rallying, something historically we don't see, Dan Nathan. Yeah,
1: well, I mean, listen, and that's one of the reasons why I think you probably see a dangerous divergence coming in the not so distant future. I mean, listen, when this thing breaks out, Guy, above 94 and a half or ninety four seventy five, whatever that is, that was the low um, for March of 2020. It was a bit of a haywire sort of period. And then when growth just does not materializing, this was pre-vaccine last fall, you saw that break below that level. Well, here we are, we're banging around here. We're, we're kind of approaching those breakdown levels. I just think we break out. And I think if you believe, and I know you believe that rates are going much higher, I just don't see how the dollar doesn't follow suit here. So that's my take there. But that leads us... To Jamie Dimon, as you sure said, you know what I mean? Now, listen, I don't have some quip about some TV show I used to watch in the early 60s when I was a kid like you, Guy Adami. But Jamie Dimon just digs and digs and digs. Maybe you'll come up with something as I'm saying this here a little bit. He does not like the Bitcoin. And every time he has the opportunity to take a swipe at the Bitcoin, he does. And I know that all the Bitcoin people on the Twitter, I mean, Jack Dorsey must love it because, A, obviously he's a huge Bitcoin. Bitcoin maximalist, as you know. Um, but Twitter just blows up whenever you have a prominent guy like Diamond take a shot at Bitcoin. What is your take on this? He says it's worthless, but some of his clients who are adults want to buy
0: it, so they got to help them buy it. Listen, I understand what he's saying. He's trying to stick to his guns. He's saying this is my personal opinion, but I understand that our clients are eager to be in this. We're not going to I guess, domicile it or whatever the word that they use.
1: Custody. Thank you. Custody it. That's
0: close. I was close. Custody, domicile, same type of thing. But we're going to give our clients what they want. I think, I don't want to say he's playing both sides of the fence here because if crypto were to ever crash, then he comes out a winner, I guess, guess on both sides. But I'm not really sure what his endgame here is. I'm not quite sure um, what the upside is. He's sort of doubling down on comments he made over a year or so ago. I heard Anthony Scaramucci earlier today He's talking about how sometimes pride goeth before fall, and he thought this was more a prideful thing with Jamie. We'll see. Uh, but, it, but the market is telling a much different story. What I said on Fast Money last night was it's interesting. He makes these comments a couple years ago. Bitcoin probably goes down 10 to 15% in a straight line. He makes these comments yesterday, and Bitcoin actually went up, calling His bluff, if in fact it is a bluff. Yeah, Yeah, and
1: I think what's different about that, and I heard you, guy. You were really eloquent, as they say. You you know what's different this time is that you know a few years ago when he made these comments, it was really a retail-driven trade. You know what I mean? And the lots were smaller. And I think at this point, you really do, as our friend Brian Kelly's been saying, this is like institutional adoption phase. You're seeing institutions buy it now. I look at this chart right here. That's some scary stuff. That reminds me of some dislocated sort of market action of the last 25 years, maybe it was in web stocks back in the late 90s or whatever, but that move off of 30, 000, a 30,000, to 40,000 consolidation there and then up to 50,000 and then back to 40,000 and now in the 50s, I mean, that'll just make your head spin a little bit. So you better have laser eyes if you're in this trade and you better be ready ready for 30, 40, 50% peak to trough declines because that's how this thing trades. But guy, you and I have been talking a lot about it. You know, you're a bit of a gold bug or you were for uh, many, many, many years here and you see the value and goal as a store of value for investors here, this thing kind of had a bid when it really felt like we were in this pit of uncertainty in the throes of the pandemic here. And, you know, all sorts of risk assets were having weird action, but gold really responded well during that. And then all of a sudden it was last summer 2020 when all of a sudden Bitcoin started a rally and gold started going the other way. So I have to be uh, I have to be consistent here.
0: I said pride goeth for a fall uh, in terms of Jamie Dimon. Well, maybe I'm too prideful in terms of my views in gold. Maybe I need to adapt. And maybe the fact that now crypto's either side of a two trillion dollar industry or market cap or security or whatever you want to call it. And obviously, a lot of that was would be a taken away from gold. If crypto didn't exist, there's a good there's a good argument to be made that money would find its way into gold. R- regardless, here we are. Um, Trading sideways, everything we're hearing, reading, all this tension between China, what's going on in Taiwan, all those things should be extraordinarily bullish for gold, yet none of them seem to be. So you have to wonder under what set of circumstances is gold rally. I still come back to a couple of things. Central banks continue to buy gold at record levels. And again, I know it wasn't a big dollar amount, but go back about a month and a half, two months ago, and the guys and gals at Palantir bought $50.3 million, not worth of the ETF, but worth of actual gold bars, which to me is interesting. I think that was the first foray. I don't think it's the last. But it's very difficult for me to sit here on Tuesday, October 12th, and make a cogent bullish argument for the yellow
1: metal, Dan Nathan. Yeah, me neither, man. So let's let's bring her in, Daniela Sabin Hawthorne from Daily FX. She is a star and she's got some kind of commentary on that shiny metal there. Hey Daniela, how are you?
2: Hey guys. Yeah, I'm good. I'm I was just looking at the gold chart you guys had and I to be honest with me, it just seems like such a messy trade in the short term, as you guys are saying. I just don't see where it's going at the moment. It's basically hasn't moved in the last two weeks or so, and they've got all this momentum that could be building either side, and it's not just just not happening. And I feel like this kind of draws into what you guys were saying at the beginning of the show with the Bank of America warnings, and I feel like this is not a normal business cycle recovery. I don't know if you guys agree. It's not normal business cycle, nor are inflation pressures normal either. We've got a greatly distorted labor market. We've got uneven demand for goods and services, and there are health factors. The pandemic isn't over yet, and these factors are involved. And until they are fully cleared, I don't expect or don't expect monetary and fiscal policy to have all the answers. And I feel like this is translating into market. We're seeing gold not really following normal trends. Again, this could be talking about Bitcoin. I've actually bought a Bitcoin chart myself and going back into you know Bitcoin, taking some of these flows away from, um, from gold. The fact that we saw, we now have a divergence between gold, between Bitcoin and stocks. I don't know if you've been following, but the last few months, um, Bitcoin has actually kind of been pegged in a way to stocks. And when we were seeing risk on sentiment, we were seeing that move into Bitcoin and vice versa. And that's not what we've seen in, in, in previous years. So for me now, we've seen this, this um link broken we've now started to diverge as we were seeing further pullbacks at the beginning of this week and also last week we've actually seen bitcoin push through which is kind of different to what we've seen in the last two months or so so for me the the main issue i was seeing was that five thousand dollar gap between 50 and 55 we've now cleared that now the fact is am i seeing bitcoin in the short term holding above those all-time highs that we saw in the spring. Now, that's where I'm struggling. I don't know if that's going to happen before year-end. I feel like we still have a lot of momentum on the downside here before we see the next big higher. I don't know if you guys agree, but it's just it, it, it's getting there, but it's not fully really right for me.
0: I think Dan's got some views. I'll say, I mean, I think technically and, and structurally, I think you want to see probably a pullback to that high 40,000, 47,000, 48,000. That would be, in my opinion, most constructive thing. I think Dan would probably agree. But it's hard to deny this is a very compelling chart, Dan Nathan.
1: Yeah, it is. I mean, especially because of like this kind of virtual scarcity that a lot of people are focused on. And I think one of the things that Jamie Dimon said was like, well, how do you guys know there's only 21 uh, million Bitcoin? And you know what I mean? like. And so the point is, is yeah, yeah, it's open source code and someone can change it. But I heard a really good description or read a really good description, I think from Ari Paul um, on Twitter is like, anybody can change open source code. It doesn't mean it changes the code for everyone else using it, right? And so it would have to be a sort of consensus that people want to change it now that could happen we've seen forks in some of these cryptos in the past but i guess you know if the primary focus right now on most people who are buying bitcoin or institutions is a store of value it seems that they've come to the consensus that incremental dollars going towards things like gold for inflation hedges or for whatever reasons they're doing is kind of going to Bitcoin. On the price action, I agree with Daniela and I agree with you, Guy. I mean, I don't like seeing things go up 25% in a straight line over a short period of time. They seem kind of unsustainable. A bit of a consolidation would be a very healthy thing. Even a bit of a pullback. And you know, Daniela, I'd love to get your take on this. When you obviously look at a lot of charts here, you know, when people call for short sort of pullbacks from a technical perspective, oftentimes it's so they can set the stage and build momentum for a move higher. It's not like you're being a permanent a bear by calling for a little pullbacks, we need to sometimes take a step back before we can take two forward
2: yeah people are looking for a more affordable entry right you don't want to get on when the train's already left the platform you want to make sure you're getting on at a good time and i feel like people struggle to see cryptocurrency falling i feel like we've got this mentality where they're just you know going to rise and rise and rise and we have those perma bears obviously but i feel like the noise is always more geared towards the upside. So people are just looking for those pullbacks to get a better entry. And essentially, that's when we see those 20 percent rallies that we see constantly. So it is always going to be a volatile trade in that sense. But I feel like we do have, as you were saying, a bit of consolidation correction before we hit those all time highs again.
0: It's um, a, it, and we're going to take a look at your next chart now, which is fascinating. But you mentioned and again, please indulge me for a second. But you mentioned you don't want to get on the train after it's left the platform. So true. Go back to the movie, The Natural. Robert Redford uh, jumps on the train as it's leaving the platform. He winds up meeting the woman
1: who subsequently <coughs> shoots him. Dude, him spoiler alert. Daniela's never seen that movie. Well, she and she, she wasn't born. Now. But, you know, who did he strike out with three pitches,
0: guy? The, the the I think it was called the the Whammer in the movie, but That's effectively right. that would be Babe Ruth. Anyway, Robert yeah. Duvall, great character Amazing. in that movie. I'm sorry, yeah. to, you brought with you a ten year a ten year yields Japanese yen chart. Speak to me because I haven't seen this one before.
2: Yeah, well, this is a perfect example of when you were saying not wanting to get on the train when it's already left the platform. It's harder to retain a bullish bias on dollar yen. I mean, just looking at this chart, it kind of speaks to, you know, we've gotten a bit too far ahead of ourselves. But you have to think the Japanese yen is the most sensitive to widening rate differentials with the U.S. You know, it's been picking up the four month highs. And this is ahead of the U.S. CPI data tomorrow. Very important data. For me, dollar yen is looking like a red rate trade. It's hedging existing bond holdings. Um, So it's going to be a great opportunity to see how markets are trading the US CPI data tomorrow. But if you Mm -hmm. look at the charts, as I said, we're overlaying here dollar-yen with a 10-year yield. And you can see basically it's the same trade. So essentially, if you've got US yields, you've got the dollar going higher. And which is the best pair to trade against that? The yen. And this is essentially what we're seeing. So there's going to be a lot of, I think, focus on tomorrow's data for obvious reasons. And I feel like dollar yen, it is looking very overextended. It is a trade where I'm oh, struggling to keep fully bullish on this but you can't deny that if rates continue to go up and that seems the way we're going then you can't deny them dollar yen is essentially going to go up and i think this chart you know evidences that perfectly this is a shorter time frame but it's definitely showing that that is the trend and that's where it's going so can't really deny that. and with japanese bond rates you know well anchored um these rising yields are making other currencies more tracked against japanese dollar sorry the japanese Danielle. yen
0: I love this. And this is something I've never seen before. So you, even at my age, you know, I'm going to be 83 in a couple of weeks. And you, you learn something new. And I think that if you believe if you're trading at home, if you think you're going to get a cool CPI number and subsequently a move in 10 year yields from one six to one five five, the move in dollar yen to the downside, I think, will be a multiple of that. So if you're trading at home, I think this is a great chart to look at. And if you have a view that yields are going to sort of go lower in the short term, a great way to play it, maybe would be short dollar yen. Great chart. Thank you for bringing this uh, euro, obviously, euro yen next. We have to look at similar, um, obviously it's a couple actually, different dynamics. Oh, euro. What do you, I'm sorry, sorry. go ahead. Pound
2: yen, sorry. Pound yeah, yen, Pound, pound I apologize. yen and then euro dollar, yeah. So pound yen, again, similar situation for me. Yeah. Um, The pound has been struggling recently because of all this front running of the hawkiness and the Bank of England. It's all about central banks right now. It's all about rates. But we did see commentary over the weekend from the governor, uh, Bailey, saying that he is concerned about inflation overshooting the 2% target. This obviously has UK yields up. It's the same theme we have all over the place. We've seen central banks saying, no, inflation's not a concern. It's all of these return to normal that has all these disruptions that are bringing our prices up. And now we're at a situation where they're starting to, as you guys were saying, are they making this error? And then are starting to backtrack a little bit and paying more attention to inflation. So, again, pound yen is a good trade in terms of that. I think this chart is very interesting to me because we are seeing a very bullish technical picture. We've seen this, um, this descending triangle here. Um, it's pushed above that. And we've seen several daily closes above that level. So that's basically telling me, are we going to push above those May 2021 highs? Just above 156. And then towards that February 2018 high there. So definitely, again, a bullish chart here. And one to definitely trade um, in terms of Bank of England expectations going forward. And then the final chart, this is going into Euro Dollar, And then for me... Um, looking at this chart is just is the path of resistance going lower it seems to be last time we had euro dollar at 115 i think was back in july 2020 um and i felt like for me this is just the opposite trade of the dixie you know and with the with the dollar basket struggling to push above the resistance range that we've seen recently 94.25, 94.80, does this give some respite to the euro, euro dollar and does this give it a a an attempt to kind of rebound from this area or are we going to see it go lower again
0: some great charts you brought with you i appreciate it you are coming back for popular demand people are clamoring (laughs) for your uh your contributions and 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 the intelligence you bring to this which when i'm in the group makes you look a lot smarter obviously (laughs) with that said daniela thanks for joining us dan you want to close this out here
1: Yeah, man, we covered a lot here. And I think that, again, you know, we're in the throes of a little bit of a, I don't know, a little mini mini correction right here. And I think you and I are both in agreement, something that looks 10% peak to trough, especially as we head into earnings season, especially as we have a lot of uncertainty um, on the geopolitical front, um, you know, and just the data is slowing down here. I think, you know, what we hear from companies going forward will be really um, the thing that maybe kind of causes us to test those moving averages. Or to kind of solidify where we are, um, and kind of find some support and start to move higher towards the end of the year. But again, uh, you know, I think that a little pressure here, a little fear in the market, might be a really good thing. We're going to get a sense from some bank earnings early, um, you know, early in the cycle here.
0: Well, today you got Barbara Eden, you got Lost in Space, and you got Robert Redford. That's a lot for a macro setup. You also got our great guest Danielle Sabine Hawthorne market analyst with IG. Today's macro setup was brought to you by our presenting sponsors, Dan, IGUS, one of the fastest growing Forex dealers in North America, and of course, our friends. And you know what, Dan? They are our friends. Open Exchange, they manage virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. Dan, I will see you next Tuesday. I believe it'll be October 19th for another version of the macro setup.